0: We know how this works, that stories get embellished over time, and I want to be careful not to do that because it assumes a kind of fable quality because the memory is an unfaithful ally.
1: David Laser is a journalist and author.
0: And so, you know, before I saw you today, I had to remind myself, what did she actually say? And um, what did I say?
1: I went to visit him at his home near Bondi Beach. I'm surrounded by hints of his career as a professional storyteller. Magazine covers, awards, piles of books. David's covered a lot in his lifetime, but there's one story in particular that's followed him through the years. And the only man alive to have interviewed Anna Murdoch.
0: I'm not going to say that. You can say that.
1: (laughs) Anna and Rupert were married for more than 30 years, from 1967 to 1999. They had three kids together, Elizabeth, Lachlan and James, and also raised his daughter from Rupert's first marriage, Prudence. Anna was a huge influence on Rupert's life, but a lot of people overlook her and the impact she had. Anna's notoriously private. She'd never spoken more candidly about her life than when she sat down with David. It happened two years after her divorce and it fell into David's lap purely by chance.
0: The reason, actually, is because she wanted to speak to Australia. She wanted to put the record straight and she wanted to do it to an Australian audience. And the place to do it was the Australian Woman's Weekly because it's kind of the Gideon's Bible of Australia. It was read at that time by a couple of million people every month. And I was the lucky schmo who got to be sent to New York.
1: She'd never spoken again. she never spoken again. What did you do to her? <laughs> Did you frighten her? (laughs) You know, she
0: I think she knew this was going to be a one-off.
1: Anna hadn't told the Women's Weekly exactly what she wanted to talk about. So when David packed his bags, he had no idea what kind of interview he was going to be doing. But as they walked out onto the patio of Anna's summer home in the Hamptons, David got the sense that beneath Anna's composure was a simmering anger.
0: Maybe it was just in my imagination, but I could feel like we were about to have a kind of defining conversation. She was the one who actually brought Rupert up. And then when she did, it was with deadly aim.
1: I'm Paddy Manning. In this series, I've been trying to understand what drives one of the world's most powerful and divisive men, Rupert Murdoch. It's not just about what drives him. It's also about what that driver's done to him. Nowhere is that more evident than in his relationship with his second wife, Anna. Throughout Rupert's breakneck expansion across Australia, the UK, and then America, Anna was by his side. Rupert told one of his editors that she was his only friend. At one point, Anna was considered a potential successor herself if anything happened to Rupert. By the end of the 90s, however, all that had changed. This episode, I want to look at two of Rupert's most consequential relationships. One was with Anna. The other was with a Nixon era Republican party operative and undoubted television genius, the man behind Fox News. Roger Ailes. From Schwartz Media and 7am, this is Rupert, The Last Mogul. Episode 4, Attack, Attack, Attack.
2: more than 6,000 miles and a world away from the east end of London. Rupert Murdoch's assets here in America are now more than five times the size of his holdings in Great Britain.
1: By the end of the 1970s, Rupert owned a string of US newspapers and magazines, including the New York Post, the Village Voice, New York Magazine and others. In New
2: York, between the Brooklyn and Manhattan bridges, stands the building which serves as Murdoch's North American headquarters. His office is on the top floor of the New York Post building.
1: Recognising that a global media company could not prosper publishing news alone, Rupert saw that he needed to be in the entertainment business. Through the course of the 1980s, in the Greed is Good era, when money markets were awash with junk bonds, Rupert borrowed big to make a huge push into television. He dreamed of building a global satellite television network. Good evening, this is the 10 o'clock news, I'm Steve Powers, and today confirmation of the largest single broadcast station transaction in history. In 1985, in two landmark deals just months apart, Rupert bought 20th Century Fox and Metro Media, which gave him a historic Hollywood film studio, as well as a group of local television stations in key markets like New York, Chicago and Los Angeles. It's part of an even bigger deal involving more than $2 billion and the sale of seven Metro Media stations, including this one, Channel 5, to media mogul Rupert Murdoch. Rupert wanted to build a fourth national TV network, Fox, to challenge the incumbents, ABC, NBC, CBS. There was a catch, however. Media laws restricted foreign ownership of television stations. He had to give up his Australian citizenship. He was entirely unsentimental about it. Do you think of yourself as a citizen of the United States? You are a naturalized oh, American. you consider yourself an American. Yes, more so than say just a citizen of the world who grew up in Australia, educated in London, lived in London, no. have businesses all over the world. You feel in your bones mm-hmm. when you America. absolutely around I feel American, American, I'm American. In every way. Yes, really I feel at home
3: here. I love it. My children are American, um, and. Um, and that's it. I mean, I have strong emotions. The
1: Murdochs made their home in New York, living in an enormous apartment right next door to the Guggenheim Museum and overlooking Central Park. But Rupert's empire was global. He was constantly jetting back to Britain. and While he was building a fourth national television network in the United States, he was also betting the company literally on the launch of a new satellite TV business in the UK called Sky. An enormous debt refinancing, the call on all those 80s junk bonds, almost cost him everything. But as seems to happen over and over with Rupert, he scraped through. Sky survived and Rupert emerged with another monopoly.
2: Do you think you're going to be able to repeat the same trick in television and films here in America?
1: I hope so, but I think it'll take as long to do here uh, as it took us to be successful in Britain. Uh, success does not come quickly or easily in the media. In pictures from this era, you can see how Rupert and Anna settled into their life in New York. They were constantly papped around town, arm in arm at high society events, film premieres, celebrity weddings, charity dues. David Lazer says Anna was enjoying herself.
0: Anna loved America. Certainly I think from Anna's point of view, I don't I don't like England. Um, I don't like the attacks on my husband. I don't like the, the class system. America was a, just a blessed relief to her after the UK.
1: Rupert's four kids all had American accents. They were sent off to the best schools in New York. As they grew up, there was already talk of succession, about whether Anna's kids would take over the family business.
3: Are they planning to go into the newspaper business? I think so, and so is my daughter. I mean, I can see um, lots of arguments along the way. Yeah. Uh? Uh, who knows what will happen? There's a scene
1: I found this old clip of Anna from when she published a novel. She actually called it Family Business. In it, she channelled everything she'd seen and learned about the media industry into a fictional account of a female press baron. Her interview inevitably strayed into talk of her real family.
3: But I think in my own family that my children, because they hear so much talked about newspapers, they live with it all the time. They, they hear all the discussions at the breakfast table. Um, they have a love for it that is totally indescribable mm. to people outside. And that was one of the things I wanted to explain, because uh, I do love the business. I know a lot more about it than I ever thought I would, <laughs> probably too much.
1: And I to... But it's exactly because they were brought up to love the media business that the kids were destined to fight over it. Anna could see trouble coming, and David Lazer tells me the succession question still bothered her a decade later.
0: She was deeply perturbed around the whole succession issue. She didn't want any of them to really take over the joint. As she said to me, I'd rather none of them. She didn't want the kind of pressure that he was putting on Elizabeth, Lachlan and James.
1: She didn't want it for them.
0: She didn't want it for them, no.
1: Anna's an interesting figure. She was 13 years younger than Rupert and grew up poor. She was the daughter of two European migrants who lived in Western Sydney and had a business that failed. She was also staunchly conservative. I think she was right of Rupert. Certainly on abortion, he was pro-life.
0: I mean, I know politically she was very right wing I mean, I see him as, it's more governed by just where does the power lie and the money, whereas I think Anna held very strong positions on communism, for example, and socialism, taxes. She was very
1: conservative. A strict Catholic, Anna had a very traditional view of the role of the wife and the importance of family. But Anna and Rupert had very different ideas of what family meant. Rupert loved family, but the business came first. David told me one of Anna's favourite old stories about a young James trying to get his dad's attention.
0: Saying, Mum, is Dad going deaf? And she said, no, darling, he, he, he just, he's just not listening.
1: There's not much footage of Rupert at home with his family but a BBC documentary from 1981 gives us a little bit of insight into their domestic life. It shows the Murdochs relaxing by the pool at Cavern, their farm near Canberra. <laughs> Rupert chucks Liz into the deep end. What? You're on camera. <laughs> Anna was sitting by the pool in the shade, dressed in all white linens. The reporter asked her what she thought of Rupert's latest acquisition and his ever-growing empire.
3: I have mixed feelings about it. I'm very happy for Rupert to have it. Uh, but for myself, as speaking as a wife and a mother, it takes family time from us. Um, it's not something that I really want, but if Rupert wants it and it makes him happy, I'm sure we'll sort it out. We've sorted it out before we'll sort something else out.
1: As the years passed, there was a growing tension in the marriage. After all the success he'd had in Australia, in the UK and America, enough for most lifetimes, would Rupert ever retire? My understanding, Anna wanted them to retire. She wanted Rupert to stop.
0: Yes, she wanted him to slow down. She wanted to have a more normal life. She didn't want this pressure on the children this dynastic pressure she would have seen them being played off against each other
1: it's at this point of rupert's career that i really start to wonder about the true drivers of his ambition it can't simply be about money or power he had both and then there was family people point to his father's legacy but rupert had already achieved more than keith could have ever dreamed of Perhaps there's no better authority on Rupert than his mother, Dame Elizabeth. She had her reservations about his career. She'd criticised the tone of his tabloids in the past. But when asked about her only son, she told that same BBC crew her own take on what drives Rupert.
3: I, I'm really sure it's not a thirst for power or a thirst for money, or least of all money, but I think he just loves this challenge to his capacity. And so far, he's proved it to be a pretty big one.
1: In Elizabeth's eyes, Rupert sets his mind to something, an acquisition, an election result, even a relationship, and everything else comes second to achieving it. Anyone presenting an obstacle is vanquished, sidelined, discarded. And in America, Rupert already had his sights on his next win. His Fox television business was about to take off. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like?
0: Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming
1: demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning
0: news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's Stainless Steel Coffee Cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes.
4: Fox News Channel. Fair and balanced. Where news is going. Where news should be. Where to find it. Fox News Channel. What people
1: want. If you were in the United States, flicking through TV channels on October 7th, 1996, you would have stumbled across the very first broadcast of Fox News. The rushed launch was shambolic, a low-budget affair. The studios were dingy, literally taped together. But unlike the other news channels, there was something edgy about tuning into Fox. It was bright, eye-catching and had a simple message. And balance. The most powerful name in news, Fox News Channel. We report, you decide. Why did Rupert Murdoch launch Fox News?
2: I I think he saw room for a, a tabloid crusading style of television service in America that was totally separate from everything else that was on
1: offer. Kim Williams worked for Rupert Murdoch for almost 20 years. He was always an anomaly inside News Corporation. He's highly cultured, well-read, well-spoken, with John Lennon glasses and a biting sense of humour. Kim is also brutally honest about what he thinks of the period he spent working for Rupert and what he saw there.
2: People always tend to go into caricature mode about people like Rupert, in in my experience, and the
1: story's much more complex than that. By the time they parted ways, Kim had held the most senior roles in Rupert's Australian operations. He was CEO of Fox Studios in Sydney and then Foxtel and then News Corp Australia. Kim often ended up in New York at a time when Rupert was in the thrall of Fox News and the man he'd hired to create it, Roger Ailes. Did you ever talk to Rupert about Fox News? When I was seeing him in New
2: York... He would usually ask, are you seeing Roger on this trip? And I'd say, no. And he'd say, why? And I said, you know why? (laughs) I can't bear the guy. Um, And he'd say, right. And he wouldn't challenge that. I mean, he always felt quite comfortable about people having different points of view. Well, back then he did. I'm not sure he would any longer. But... I'm delighted in not seeing Roger Ailes and having nothing at all to do with him. Did you ever meet him? Oh, I've met him on a number of occasions. He he was a de- decrepit old thug. He had no element of of charm or appeal at all. Politically, to me, he was completely anathema. I mean, just... You feel like having a shower afterwards.
1: Roger Ailes was the only child of a violent father who grew up in the auto town of Warren, Ohio, heart of the Rust Belt. He was a haemophiliac. He had multiple transfusions from donors in the local community when he was a kid. His father used to say, remember, son, you've got a lot of blue-collar blood in you. Roger held on to that his whole life. Uh,
0: I,
4: I see myself between the Hudson River and the Sierra Madres. I don't see myself at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel or... Got it. Uh, Le Cirque here in New York. Those, those are people who aspire to different things. The chattering
1: Rupert had met Roger Ailes back when Roger was working for the Reagan administration. Later, he was hired to soften up George Bush's public image. Ailes lived and breathed Rupert's anti-establishment, underdog mindset. He was second to none when it came to packaging up the Republican Party platform and selling it to the public. He also had an unpleasant reputation...
4: If you want to have tremendous political influence and still be a womaniser, drug abuser or an alcoholic, you only have one choice of career, and that's journalism.
1: He'd left his last job in television after shouting an anti-Semitic slur at a colleague at NBC. Within weeks, he was doing a press conference alongside Rupert Murdoch announcing the launch of Fox News. Roger Ailes had the idea of
2: producing this new service that was of an ardent right-wing perspective, in the memorable words of Roger Ailes, fair and balanced. The fair and balanced was a deliberate Roger Ailes takedown of the old regulatory rules that were exercised in America through until the Reagan presidency and Reagan removed the requirement for reasonableness and fairness and um, for right of reply. The
1: Fairness Doctrine.
2: That's right. The Fairness Doctrine was fundamental to the operation of the Federal Communications Commission. So Rupert saw an opportunity. He knew the market was sufficiently large in America, of all places, for it to play out well. And I think it was successful beyond his wildest dreams.
1: Fox News was deliberately pitched at Middle America, towns like Warren, where ales had come from. Rupert and Roger liked to joke they'd discovered a new market niche, half the country, which they believed was being ignored by coastal media elites who are overwhelmingly liberal.
2: How old is the Fox News channel now? We launched
4: in October of 1996, uh, so it's not quite three years old. How many homes are you in? 41.8 million homes.
1: Roger Ailes went on C-SPAN to take calls from viewers. You can already hear how Fox News had struck a chord. Yes, hello. Hi.
3: Hi. Oh, oh, Brian, I'm so excited to be on with you. Welcome. (laughs) So am I. (laughs) Uh, Listen, and I'm so happy to see Roger Ailes. Uh, I know he's done a lot for people that I like over the years. And um, I am so happy to live in a district here. That uh, gets the Fox station. I know some of my neighbors don't even want to bother to listen to Fox station, but I love it.
4: Well, thank you very much.
3: And I know that. Um...
4: Would you make a call to the previous guy and talk to him for me? Never
1: mind. Why do you like Fox News? Did he have a genius for television, in your view?
2: Oh, there's no question. He was a person who understood television very well and understood
1: the ordinary
2: thoughts of basic Americans very, very fluently
1: Do you think there was a meeting of minds between Roger Ailes and Rupert Murdoch?
2: Yeah, I think I think Roger Ailes had a, a fundamentally tabloid view of the world and that's clearly something on which in many ways Rupert wrote the modern rule book.
1: Fox News was one part of a bigger picture. Rupert's dream of a global satellite television network. He'd already bought a majority stake in the Hong Kong-based Star TV. In Asia, we are opening new horizons with our Star television channels. Star had a footprint from the Middle East to Southeast Asia. It could reach two-thirds of the world's population. At last count, Star channels broadcast in their own indigenous languages were being viewed regularly in more than 53 million homes. The biggest target market of all was China, and Rupert was spending more and more time there, enamoured with its potential. Consider this. By around the year 2005, two billion Asians would have newly arrived in the middle class.
3: Think of the economic, the political and the social power of that remarkable movement.
1: Back in the US, the ambition driving Murdoch was still a point of tension. His marriage had fallen apart. In April 1998, in the New York Post, the gossip pages dropped the news. Anna and Rupert were separating. It is with some personal sadness, wrote columnist Liz Smith, that I announced the amicable separation of Rupert Murdoch and his beautiful wife, Anna. She continued, quote, The Murdoch's say their situation is very painful and leaves them torn, but they are attempting to work out their differences. Mrs Murdoch, a novelist and philanthropist, will remain on the board and continue in the Murdoch businesses. The careful wording left things slightly open. Between the lines, there's some hope of reconciliation, but it would soon become clear Rupert had no intention of getting back with Anna. You know, it seems a sliding doors moment for us, you know, trying to tell the story of Rupert's life. The moment where instead of retiring with Anna, he divorces and continues in his work for another quarter of a century. What does it say about Rupert in your mind?
4: Rupert and I are apparently a lot alike. Uh, we, we like what we're doing and, and our work says a lot about who we are. And if we weren't doing that anymore, we we don't exist.
1: Daniel Jaffe is a Beverly Hills divorce attorney. He's 88 years old, still working, having litigated some of America's most high-profile divorces, including Rupert and Anna's. What were your impressions of Anna? Do you recall?
4: Yeah, I sure do. I, I recall her as being one of the nicest, most pleasant, warmest clients I've ever represented. They, they say in the, being a divorce lawyer, you represent the very nicest people at their worst, and being a criminal lawyer, you represent the very worst people at their nicest. But she was a pleasure to deal
1: with. But behind her pleasant demeanour, Anna was reeling. Was she heartbroken? Oh
4: yeah, I think she was really upset,
1: yes. Anna was quickly dealt a second blow. Reading the annual report of News Corp, she saw her name listed as a retiring director. Then, at the News Corp headquarters in New York, in front of the entire board, including her son Lachlan, she was forced to retire. And she described that moment to David Laser.
0: Anna was saying her farewell and there were lots of tears and uh, she was thanking everybody and wishing them well and saying that this was not just the end of my marriage, this is the end of my life as I've known it. And then I think with great dignity, walking from the boardroom with Lachlan, taking her by the arm and, and walking her to the elevator and that was, that was it, it was done.
1: Rupert and Anna's marriage ended just like it did with any of his editors or executives. David says Anna was keenly aware of this.
0: It seemed like like Anna had been dismissed. In like the, an employee. Yeah, in the way that editors had been dismissed and executives had been dismissed and they hadn't seen it coming. And it was like, you've reached your use by date. You served me well for this period of time but I can dispense with you now.
1: Anna saw what it was like to be on the receiving end of Rupert's ruthlessness. Having been discarded, Anna now wanted to use the divorce to bind Rupert to his four children to make sure they couldn't be swapped out just as she was.
4: The focus was always on whether the the children, the next generation would really be the people who are going to take over the operations uh, after either Rupert retired or died. There were no court appearances. There were no motions. All of the financial information was all disclosed on a voluntary basis.
1: Was she greedy?
4: Mm. I I don't think so. I didn't think so.
1: So they all meet in New York in the apartment overlooking Central Park. Rupert, Anna, Daniel, and Rupert's lawyer. Even James Murdoch, who at 27 years old, offered to help out. And
4: James says, OK, guys, Mom, Dad, we're going to get this finished.
1: What was the apartment
4: like? You know, the only thing I remember about it is I remember what the monthly maintenance costs were. I think they were eighteen dollars or $19,000 a month, and I had never seen any maintenance charges like that in any case I ever handled previously.
1: The divorce agreement between Rupert and Anna made sure that control of the Murdoch media empire would pass to the four elder children when Rupert died. It ensured each child had an equal vote on the Murdoch Family Trust, which controls the family's holding of the voting shares in the Murdoch businesses. Crucially, when Rupert dies, the four siblings take full control of the trust.
4: Obviously, I and and Anna agreed that the proposal that we did come up with was uh, a reasonable proposal. And uh, I did both of the parties a big favour by getting it resolved quickly and uh, amicably.
1: The inheritance was now locked in, and on the surface, the proceedings were amicable. But underneath it, still, Anna wasn't happy. Speaking to David Laser two years later, she finally accused Rupert of having an affair with a young executive who'd been working at Star TV in Hong Kong, Wendy Deng.
0: Anna was the great foil and the great partner for Rupert as he was conquering the Western world. But he needed China. He wanted to extend his reach through Asia. So Wendy then becomes the indispensable foil Fluent in Mandarin, fluent in English, that's what this was about. Who's who's useful to me now? Who's, who's useful and attractive to me now?
1: It was geopolitical as much as anything else.
0: Well, that's fine because both women were in extremely geopolitical positions.
1: Anna learnt that Wendy and Rupert had been in a relationship before they'd agreed to separate. Anna had kept that knowledge of the affair to herself, she said, partly for the sake of her kids and partly hoping that Rupert would one day make amends.
0: One of the things I remember asking her was about whether Rupert's critics had been right about him all along and the reputation that he had earned as a result of of peddling that kind of journalism, whether the critics were right. And she said the Rupert I knew died a long time ago.
1: 17 days after the divorce was settled, Rupert and Wendy were married. Anna was gone, but over at the ramshackle Fox News studios, Roger Ailes wasn't going anywhere. Fox News was about to become the top cable news channel in America.
3: Fox News, we have a very tragic alert for you right now. An incredible plane crash into the World Trade Center here at the uh, lower tip of Manhattan.
0: It's believed a 737 has crashed into this speculation at this point, but at least three floors taken out, crashed into the side of the building.
1: 9-11 changed America, and Roger Ailes saw it and understood it better than anyone. He's said to have only one mode, attack, attack, attack. True to his philosophy, Fox News urged President Bush to invade first Afghanistan and then Iraq. Once the war against Saddam begins, we expect every American to support our military and if they can't do that, we're to shut right now up. All these guys are getting a little bit tired of uh, you know hearing we're going
4: in, we're not going in. We're, you know whatever happened in the days of Douglas MacArthur. I mean, he'd go and attack.
1: Fox News absolutely backed the line that Saddam Hussein was hiding weapons of mass destruction, the UN was not capable of finding them, and America had to invade. Saddam Hussein is deemed by the White House a threat to American national security, a brutal, murderous dictator and a menace to the world.
4: The United Nations does not say that he has 31,000 munitions. What the United Nations says is that a large number of munitions are unaccounted for. Wrong. Blix makes quite What clear. they said
1: is when they got booted out of there in 98, and that's absolutely wrong, Mr. Kaneda. You... You know, a... Almost all of the Murdoch media backed the invasion of Iraq in 2003. The New York Times even dubbed it Mr. Murdoch's War. With the nation on high alert and our armed forces prepared for war, stay brave, stay aware and stay with Fox. Rupert's influence, not just in America, but in Australia and Britain too, was so great he could arguably tip governments into armed conflict. But in Fox, especially, Rupert had built a network that would exceed his own enormous ambition. It would become the most influential and profitable cable news network in America, and the most dangerous.
2: I don't think anyone anticipated just how astonishingly commercially successful it has been.
1: To what extent do you think Fox News represents the worldview of Rupert Murdoch?
2: Oh, I I, I imagine that it's become much closer to his view than it was in the early part of this century. But it, it, it has become a parody of itself in some ways. I mean, commercially it's obviously an outstandingly strong enterprise producing rivers of gold but politically it has been the source of polarity in, a, in America of unprecedented toxicity and of the complete degeneration of the whole public square. I, I would not want that to be on my epitaph. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen.
1: Next episode, Rupert faces the biggest scandals of his career.
3: There is no doubt the number one person that the company sought to protect from the get-go was Rupert Murdoch.
1: But the ultimate question isn't about survival, it's about succession. There's the company and his kids, and they're both very precious to him, but he can be a clinically tough person. In the face of crisis, one son will take a fall while the other emerges as a leader. Rupert, the last mogul is hosted by me, Paddy Manning. Our supervising producer is Shane Anderson. Mixing, compositions and additional production by Zoltan Fetcho. Our executive producer is Sarah McVie. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. This podcast is a production by 7AM and Schwartz Media. Thanks for listening.